0: Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grow Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning, everybody. I'll take it, but we're going to need better energy going forward. Just heads up on that. I'm so glad to be with you all here today, worshiping with us online, worshiping with us in person, and gathering together for a double celebration because it is Youth Sunday, which I am partial to for obvious reasons. And it is Pentecost, where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous outpouring of God's power, which launched the church as we know it today. And I'm excited to get into the Word, and as you can tell, it's going to be an interesting sermon given the passage that was read. But first, I want to recognize something that's really wonderful that's happened during this service, and that is that we have students with their hands all over every single part of this service, because If we've done our job right as a youth team, you won't leave this Sunday going, oh, it's so nice to have these wonderful, talented people serving our students. If we've done our job right, you will leave saying, look at the ways that God is working in and through the young men and women of our church. And Amen. Let's applaud that. And so we had student greeters from the very moment that you came in and student ushers. We have students on the worship team and students sharing their testimony, students, scripture readers. And then one that you may not know, we have three of our students serving in the tech on the back. And so every single part of our service, yeah, let's applaud that too. Every single part of this service has been an exercise in the gifts and talents that God has given these young men and women. So make sure that you recognize that with them and just celebrate how God is raising up young leaders in this church. So now we're gonna turn to what was just read. And uh, I have to admit, when Craig gave me this passage, I was so excited because it's insane. The first draft of this sermon was just, I stand here and eat popcorn while Ed Glover reads the passage. That was the whole first draft, and I decided I should actually unpack it a little bit. But there's so much happening in this story, and it's incredible. So I I want to kind of walk through what happens in Judges chapter 14, give you a little recap. And it's so good. And it's one of the reasons why you should never read the Bible sterile. Sometimes we crack open the Bible and it's, we've got to check our box for the day or the week or the month of the year, whatever it is for you. We've got to check that box and get our reading done. So we take it like medicine and we forget that there's songs and there's poems, there's stories and proverbs, there's sermons, all these different types of literature, and they're all for us. And so we're going to look at this and appreciate what it is that God put here in Judges 14. So first, Samson's out walking with his parents. He sees a beautiful woman and he says, I'm going to marry that woman. He's never talked to her. Doesn't know who she is. She's just very pretty, I assume. And it's a double whammy because she's a Philistine woman. And at this point, God's people were explicitly forbidden from marrying people who were outside of God's chosen people, Israel. So it was a completely forbidden marriage to begin with and based solely on the fact that the woman was very pretty, knew nothing else about her. So Samson gets on his merry way to uh, inaugurate this ungodly marriage and a lion attacks him. And he tears it apart. And I, we need to appreciate this in verse 6. He tears it apart as one might tear apart a young goat. That's the weirdest simile I've ever heard. Paper, leaves, fabric. These are things you tear apart. Like that is not a relatable simile to say like, oh yeah, he tear it apart like a young goat. What was happening in Judges. So then after we get through that, they go, they work out the arrangements for the marriage that was forbidden by God. They're coming back through a vineyard, by the way, and Samson wasn't allowed to drink because he was a Nazarite and he'd taken a vow that he wouldn't drink or touch dead things. We're going to get a double whammy here. So he encounters the lion that he had killed earlier and the lion carcass, the dead body which has been sitting outside for days, is now infested with bees. There's honey inside and he thinks, it's snack time. That is not a good snack. And so... He reaches in and he takes some, making himself ceremonially unclean, breaking God's law and his Nazarite vow. And then he gives some to his companions, his family. And so he made them ceremonially unclean too. And so they wouldn't have been able to worship at the temple. They wouldn't have been able to offer sacrifices because he made them unclean and they didn't even know it. So he's, he's actively ruining other lives as well. So wedding day comes. He's defiled. He's marrying someone he's not supposed to. And he's assigned 30 Philistine friends. Um, I would be like to be assigned friends too, especially in middle school, that would have been great. But this is sort of a whole different wedding tradition where he has these 30 companions. And so they get together and just to get off on the right foot, Samson challenges them to a riddle competition. And uh, for a guy who's, who's, you know, thinking wasn't always great, I don't know why he went riddle, not arm wrestling, but he goes for the riddle competition and he says, the winner of this riddle competition gets Fashion not money, not livestock, 30 changes of clothing in an era where you had like two outfits, the one you had on and the other one. And he wants 30 changes of clothing in order for this riddle. So he tells them the riddle and it is not a riddle. For those of you who are riddle scholars, it's just I saw something earlier. Do you know what it is? And they don't because they weren't there. And so they're very mad about this, but they keep a level head and they go to Samson's new wife and say, hey, could you help us solve this riddle for your new husband or we'll burn you and your family to death? And so that happens. And so she's upset, understandably. She's put in a rough spot here. And so she goes and cries to Samson for days because, you know, threat of burning to death. And so they tell her or he tells her, she immediately tells the other guys, they get the riddle. And so Samson's like, oh, now I got this debt to pay. Got to give these guys 30 outfits. So he just goes and murders 30 people, just does it. Murders them. Takes their clothes and brings it to the original companions. And they're like, okay, cool. We're on good shape now. And then he completely abandons his new wife and she marries someone else. What? <laughs> like, honestly, what is happening in this passage? It's insane. Like this, I can't get over how, how genuinely funny and over the top this passage is. But the reality is God tells us in Second Timothy that all Scripture— all scripture, is useful. And so this story has a purpose. I think the first purpose, the big takeaway is this. If it's in Judges 14, don't do it. Any of it. Don't murder. Uh, Don't marry uh, an unchristian woman based solely on the fact that she's pretty and you saw her. Um, Don't tear a goat. Don't have a fashion-based riddle competition. Don't murder 30 people. Just If it's in Judges 14, don't do it. That's, that's the first thing I want to be sure. So if you're ever in your life, you're not sure what not to do, just skim Judges 14. But there's, I think, a more serious and bigger takeaway. And there's so much more to learn from this story. And I think that the big question that I came away with after reading this passage over and over going, how do I, how do I teach this? What is God instructing us in this passage? Was the question of why. Why does Samson do All of that, or any of that. What happened in his life that meant that he was disregarding God's law, he was disregarding his vows, and he was just completely going off the rails? I think the answer to that question is blind spots. Samson had a lot of blind spots. He missed some very big and very important things. And frankly, I get it. I mean, I don't get all of it. But I get the blind spots thing. My, my dad as a kid, he used to say to me, you have a ready, fire, aim personality. And he was definitely right. I don't always think things through. I miss details sometimes. And I, I can be a little chaotic. So I get what it is to have blind spots. And the reality is that every person here today has very big and very important blind spots. So instead of spending the rest of our time here looking at ways that we're better than Samson and kind of dunking on his ridiculousness and taking a victory lap about how, hey, at least we're not that. Like, you know, there's always the example of, look, I'm not a perfect Christian, but at least I'm not that. Now we know what the that is. It's all of this. But instead of playing that game, let's examine how we can avoid the same pitfalls that Samson fell into. Because we can be like, yeah, this, this, is, this is crazy, But when you see how it lands in modern times, it's not always a funny thing. In fact, it's really, really tragic. When you see a leader who shunned accountability because his leadership became so prominent and fell into a very substantial sexual sin or abuse, someone who stole a great deal of money from people that were trusted with them because they allowed their power, they allowed their strength in whatever form that came To make them think that they were above mistakes or that the rules didn't apply to them. And they developed bigger and bigger blind spots until whole ministries, whole careers were ruined by this situation. And I'm guessing for most people, somebody came to mind, a a well-known, especially Christian person, who by their blind spots and a lack of accountability, came to absolute destruction and an incredible ministry career was diminished or even completely ruined because of the blind spots that they did not address. So the story is crazy, but the reality can be very, very serious. So we're gonna look at the reasons for Samson's blind spots and hope among ourselves that we can do more to catch them. So a word about blind spots, and this is gonna be some technical stuff here. You can't see them, right? That's, that's the problem that we're facing with blind spots is that they're blind. And no matter how you turn or twist, there are going to be blind spots that you yourself will never, ever, ever catch, ever. So the first reason for Samson's blind spots, and the reason that we have them in our own lives, is when we look at the company that Samson keeps. So let's look at the company he keeps. In this story, 30 random Gentile guys, his parents, a woman that's pretty and trying not to die, and that's it. And throughout the story of Samson, if you look at the company he keeps, there are two types of people. There are people that he doesn't listen to and people, well, three types. People that he doesn't listen to, people that give him terrible advice, and people he actively destroys. And so he's not ever in a situation where he has company around him that will help him to navigate and to recognize those blind spots. There's no priests, no Levites, no prophets, no one, well, almost no one, as we'll see, is speaking truth into his life. And absolutely no one is speaking truth into his life in a way that he can hear it. And so he's left with these massive blind spots. The only people that speak truth to his life say, hey, Samson, maybe don't do all of this are his parents. And it's very clear that he is not at that point listening to what appears to be the only godly voice in his life, reminding him of his vows, reminding him of God's law. And that is why we need effective and intentional Christian community. We need effective and intentional Christian community in our life. We need the people of God to surround us and speak truth to our life. So what do I mean by effective and intentional? Because I chose those words purposefully. Effective. It does something. Effective Christian community works on your life. It sharpens you. It shapes you. It points you in the direction that God would have you to go. Effective Christian, effective Christian community is one that will say to you, look, you are making a mistake. And I love you enough to tell you that. If you do this, it could lead to serious harm. It could lead to sin. It could severely impact your life. Effective Christian community keeps you accountable and loves and supports you in the midst of that accountability. So that's the thing with effective Christian community. It's truth and love together, helping you to navigate and to recognize things about yourself that you might not already know. And I think that's so, so critical to have effective Christian community. My wife is effective for me she once said to me, you know you don't like any idea that wasn't yours, right? And she was correct. You need people to say that to you because otherwise you might not realize the truth of the matter that you tend to have a hard time listening to other people's ideas or whatever that might look like for you. And it has to be intentional too. So, so, so rarely does this kind of stuff happen by accident. It's, it's not a common thing to be like, hey, Want to just, uh, you know, while we're out here at lunch, we're hanging out together, why don't I tell you about my sins and struggles? And then you can help me to navigate those. Doesn't typically happen. Intentional Christian community means you set up spaces and you set up intentional relationships so that this effectiveness is put to use in your life. You need intentional Christian community. You need people that you can share your whole browser history with. You need people that you can say, this is my toughest sin struggle and I need you to ask me about it. You need people that you can say, hey, how are you doing? Not just how are you doing emotionally, but how are you doing spiritually? Are you growing? Are you struggling? Are you in a really uh, powerful season where the Lord is speaking or do you feel like you haven't connected with him in a long time? You need effective and intentional Christian community. And it's a two-way street, meaning you, as a Christian, have to be an effective and intentional Christian friend to someone else. It's got to be a two-way street. And it's like, oh, that's hard, or it's awkward, because you know, admitting we're weak, it's, it's just not a natural thing. Well, toughen up. It's what God calls us to do. And you will set yourself up for many different and very unexpected and sometimes very public failures without this. You need intentional and effective Christian community. That's one of the main reasons why we have the church, is to be effective and intentional Christian community with each other. Now, I want to put a caveat here. This doesn't mean that all your friends have to be Christians. This doesn't mean you can only hang out with Christian people. In fact, I think the opposite. It's important to have people in your life that your faith can be a witness to, and you can be friends with them, and out of that, share your faith. Uh, when I lived in Memphis, we lived in what my wife and I called the Cove of Monotheism. And the reason for that, well, we say cul-de-sac up here. So the cul-de-sac of monotheism. So we had our house. We were Christians, unsurprising. To the left was a wonderful older Jewish couple that were super just kind and, and friendly people. And on the right, we had a young Muslim couple fr- who was originally from Morocco and, and their kids, and it was, it was a really wonderful experience to be able to build relationships with them, to go to birthday parties, to mow the lawn and talk together in the front yard. And out of that, natural conversations come up like, hey, uh, what's, what's Easter again for Christians? And would it be weird if I like, came to see what Easter looked like at church? Uh, no, that's great. Do that, please. Yes. Yes. And and they would say to us, you know, Merry Christmas. And we'd say, hey, how's your Ramadan fast going? Happy Yom Kippur. Whatever that looked like, because we could be a Christian witness through our kindness, through our love, through sharing what we had and sharing meals together. So that doesn't mean your only friends are Christians, but it means the people that are sharpening and shaping you the most are these effective and intentional Christian friends. And when you do have them in your life, whether it's your parents like Samson, or whether it is just people, your peers, coworkers, whatever that looks like, you need to listen to them and you need to do the same thing for them because it won't do anything if you're not willing to receive and give as a part of this effective Christian community. And the reality is, it's actually one of the big blind spots for a lot of teenagers because all of a sudden you get a little older. And you realize your parents aren't Superman and Wonder Woman. They're just regular people who are flawed and trying their best. And there's a developmental step that happens where you have a tougher time hearing from your parents. And I'd encourage you students, and I I tell this too, you know, if, if you especially, if you have any parents, but especially godly parents, you need to work against that and listen to them because they've done more life than you. They love you as much or more than anyone else in the world. And so I do encourage students to listen to their parents, but all of us, regardless of who is speaking that truth into our life. We need to listen to them so that we can have this effective and intentional Christian community. The second reason that Samson had so many blind spots is because of what he did not do. So let's look at Samson does not do over the course of this Judges 14 and really over the course of his entire life. He does not ever heed God's word. He does not ever heed God's word. And we don't know in some cases whether he was willfully ignoring it, whether his temper got the best of him, or whether he had just forgotten because, I mean, I think the case could be made. He's probably not the brightest crayon in the box. But the reality is whatever reason it happened, he either willfully ignored or just did not in any way consider God's word. And if we look at James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, it gives us this instruction about how it is that we're supposed to interact with God's word says do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they've heard but doing it they will be blessed in what they do we need to be listeners and doers of god's word We need the Word and the Spirit, both acting in our life, both to understand and to execute on the truth. And that was actually one of the things that spawned this blood drive with our students. We looked at James 1. He said, well, okay, God's Word tells us to help the needy, help the hurting. Let's think of some different ways. So we decided we're going to launch a blood drive to help. And actually, some of our students were already volunteering with Vitalent because they're amazing. And so we had this opportunity in that partnership to serve others through giving blood. And we raised some money for the uh, Persat Children's Home in Cambodia because we realized that God gives us gifts to give to others. And we've been looking for ways all semester because God's word is clear. We can't just hear it. It has to change us. We cannot be hearers only. We have to be doers of God's word. And so we need the word and the spirit. Now think of a car. It's kind of a classic example of blind spots, right? You have this, uh, you know, metal box around you and there's just spots that when you're driving you can't really see. And to offset that there's side view mirrors and rear view mirrors and you can use those to minimize the blind spots to help catch more possible accidents and problems as you drive. And now in newer cars, there's like radar and space lasers and whatever magic they put into cars these days where, you know, you, you sneeze and eight lights go off and it's like, okay, I'm safe. It's, it's amazing though, all this technology that is put around a car to help keep it safe because blind spots are a big cause of accidents and failures and other problems. Sidebar, I love the idea of self-driving cars. I wish I could do self-driving spirituality with the Holy Spirit, which take over, I could go along with, but... If you don't like the idea of self-driving cars, you've never ridden in the car with a 16-year-old. That's all I'm saying. You will, you will be knocking on the door to Carnegie Mellon being like, I need a self-driving car, please. But cars have that technology to catch blind spots and help you to navigate. And in the same way, God gives us these tools, these mirrors and the radar to help us to catch these blind spots. The biggest one, or one of the biggest ones, being God's word. And scripture says that that's exactly what scripture can do for us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Do you open up God's word and think, I'm getting the breath of God right now. I'm getting teaching and correcting. I'm getting rebuking and training because that's what the word is meant to be. It is meant to be a system to help us recognize our weaknesses, our sins, our failures, and to speak God's truth and God's wisdom into them. And if we don't crack it open and we don't make use of it, or we're like Samson and we know some of it and we just don't ever put it in play in our life, we are setting ourselves up for catastrophic failure of all different sorts. You can't see your blind spots. I'm going to say it over and over again. You won't catch them without help. And so we need God's word to teach, rebuke, correct, and train us so that we can see more of the things that we would otherwise miss. And as we've talked about before during our worship time, it is also Pentecost Sunday. And what we celebrate in Pentecost is God's spirit coming down. So Christ arose, went up into heaven, and sent what we call the helper, God's Holy Spirit, And it dropped down onto the church and to this group of people in an upper room who were awaiting God's transformation. And it rippled out like a shockwave. And the church multiplied hundreds and hundreds fold in a very short fashion by the power of miracles, by the power of God just grabbing hold of hearts and then sending them out into their respective towns and homes to be missionaries sharing the truth of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is not just an incredible tool for witnessing a a vehicle for God's power. The Holy Spirit is also one who gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit is one who acts as a conscience and a guide to help us to recognize these blind spots. And so the Word and the Spirit, they work together to help us see what we would otherwise miss. To help us avoid sinful ruin that might otherwise completely upend our family, our life, our ministry. Because yes, you have a ministry as a follower of Jesus, even if you don't work for a church. Or even if you don't volunteer for a church. As a Christian, you too have a ministry. And so the Spirit works with and through the Word to empower us and to help us to navigate those blind spots and weaknesses. And to help us to see what we might otherwise miss. We all have blind spots. They very rarely get better with age. You almost never can outsmart them. And the thing that's so killer about blind spots is they have a perfect place to hide right behind our strengths. Because the reality is Samson was physically unstoppable. I mean, 30 dudes. And he's just like, I'm gonna steal your clothes after I murder you. Wasn't even an effort. Whole armies would come after him. He would just, he beat them to death with like a bone or a rock or whatever he had nearby. He would go into towns where he was not welcome and the town would lose. He was so strong. And that made him miss how his pride was going to crush him and how sin was constantly flowing into his life through every other channel except for his physical strength. Some of you are very smart people. And I don't say that as a joke. There are smart, smart, intelligent, gifted people in this room. And your mental strength may be the biggest shield for your blind spots because it may give you pride because you're very good at one thing that you are good at everything. And you can always outthink sin. And you can always outmaneuver the devil. And you can always be the one who's in control of the situation because in most places you are the smartest. But that can be a real avenue for sin if you don't have someone checking your blind spots. Some of you are incredibly creative. You can dream up things with an instrument or with art or photography or whatever that looks like for you, that that would blow us all away. Creatives are wonderful, wonderful people. And I come from a very creative, weird family and I love that. But sometimes the dependence on your ability to conjure things from inside yourself can cause you to not look outside for hard truth. Sometimes our biggest strengths are shields, for our blind spots. And that's certainly the case with Samson. And because of that, they very rarely get better without help. And so we need effective and intentional community. We need God's word to speak truth to us. We need God's spirit to guide us and to illuminate our hearts. And if you are someone who all of this is kind of new or or wild information and the role of God's word to instruct and the role of God's spirit to illuminate and Christian community to come alongside as new. I'd encourage you, ask more questions, learn more. This is what it means to live a more fully realized Christian life. And for some of you today, the first thing you need to know is none of this comes without first receiving the gospel, without first realizing that Christ, our Savior, died to take the penalty of our sins, rose again, went up into heaven and paved the way for us to be totally and radically forgiven by his grace and to receive the word in a way that works in our hearts and to receive the spirit in a way that guides our steps. And so the first step in this whole process is coming to know Christ, to accept your need for a savior, to recognize that his death and resurrection means that your sins are paid for And that no failure you can commit, whether it's because of a blind spot or because you knew better and you still did it, no sin that you commit falls outside of God's grace and love. And so the first step is trusting in that radical grace. And then oftentimes after a great failure, after a blind spot comes to bite you, again, recognizing and trusting in that grace that's already forgiven the sin that you've just committed. Because without these things in our life, If we try to follow Jesus, it can lead us, even still, to ruin. And so we need that effective and intentional Christian community. We need the word and the spirit as an extension of the work of Christ on our behalf. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have brought us here today. And Lord, you sometimes give us really over-the-top illustrations to help teach us important truths like a big banner blowing in the wind saying, don't miss this. So Lord, we thank you for the character of Samson and how you used his life to help us to recognize things in our own life that might really cause us great harm just as his blind spots caused his harm. Lord, I pray that we would be effective and intentional community for someone else, that we would seek that out for ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would daily be in your word. I pray that we would be daily asking for the full wisdom of the Spirit, as much as we can bear. Because without them, all of us have blind spots that could severely damage our witness, our family, our life. But with them, Lord, you can help us to avoid these pitfalls. And Lord, help us to know that no matter the state of ruin we're in, whether none or total, that your grace still covers us. And we praise you for that today, Lord. And we ask all this in your holy name. Amen.